0: Good morning. I bring you greetings on behalf of the staff, faculty, and students of the eight seminaries of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. It is indeed our pleasure to be here, to be with you uh, both yesterday and uh, again this morning, and we are so thankful for the warm welcome you have extended to us and for the opportunity to uh, be with you in Christian community and in conversation following this time. you gotta love Bible school. Seriously. Where else can you go to get Kool-Aid, Jesus, and sunburn all in the same afternoon? I loved it. And since I was a pastor's kid, I got to go every year. One of the most memorable things for me about Bible school was the chance to retell Bible stories and pictures and skits and songs. And among my favorites, well, was this gospel lesson from this morning about the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. You got to admit, it has a lot of material. It is nothing short of man versus wild meets charmed. Reality TV meets sci-fi in one riveting episode. Picture this. New guy on the scene gets booted out into the wilderness with nothing but his wits to guide him first. He must figure out how to survive. Find shelter, protection, water, a place to sleep, fire. Wild beasts and elements assail him. And as if that weren't enough to survive, Satan himself arrives on the scene to do some serious tempting Jesus is alone, hungry, and probably pretty strung out from many days of just trying to stay alive. And Satan, propped up on his elbow, toothpick in his teeth, glancing at his new manicure, comes to make the cell like a used car salesman. Seriously, Jesus, he says, you're the son of God, right? Why not use your powers to save yourself? No deal, says Jesus. Satan takes a long draw from a cigar, a sip of scotch. If this whole son of God thing isn't working out for you, I'd be glad to cut a deal. Worship me and you can rule the world. Still no deal, says Jesus. And then finally, relaxed in his recliner, newspaper in hand. Seeming not to care, he tries one last time. Seriously, wouldn't it be good to know that daddy's got your back once and for all? Try it out, put him to the test. In light of Jesus' plight, the temptations are serious. He has no idea when he'll come out of the wilderness or who will come to his rescue. The threat of death has been his only other companion. And Satan is offering not just aid. But glory and wealth and power, too good to be true, but you've got to imagine it's nip and tuck. Suddenly things are not what they once seemed. God is not who Jesus imagined, and life hardly seems fair. And yet, Jesus resists the temptations, each time offering an antidote to the poison Satan proffers. And so with only the word of God on his tongue, Jesus bests his opponent and emerges the surprising and unexpected hero. But that's the Bible school version. It's really a version of Matthew or Luke with all the detail about what Jesus does and says. It's a fuller account of the story and one that makes, well, really for a much better skit. But Mark... Mark is different, and Mark is who we have to work with this morning. You can't space out on Mark, because if you do, even for a minute, you'll miss the whole thing. Mark's gospel is lean and mean and tight. Jesus is in the wilderness, tempted by Satan, wild beasts and angels waiting on him. That's it. Which might lead you to move on to other accounts and fill in the details in your head, But as Dr. Fred Craddock, noted scholar and preacher, puts it, it's difficult to listen to a text when there are other texts in the room talking about the same subject matter, often in ways more elaborate and more familiar. But Mark is speaking. Courtesy and respect demand that we pay attention to him. So instead of moving on to that action-packed account that you did back in Bible school, Dr. Craddock and I beg you, Stay with Mark for a while. Stay with the barrenness of this account that is so like the wilderness. Stay with its unpredictability, so like the wild beasts. Stay with its silence, so full of temptations. What did Jesus face during those 40 days? What kind of torment did he endure? What were the greatest temptations he faced? My friend Robert has had a rough run of things the past few years. The youngest sibling, he was the only one left in the house when his father and mother filed for divorce. His father left in more ways than one, And Robert began to discover that the life he thought he had was unbearably fragile, and the people who surrounded him were utterly unpredictable. Such that every struggle of life, like losing a girlfriend or getting in a fender bender or breaking his arm, left him feeling incredibly alone in the wilderness of life. Unable to catch a break, he asked me one day, Why does God hate me? when we begin to wonder where God is, when we feel as though we are slogging it all alone in the wilderness with just a few wild beasts for company, when we feel abandoned by God, the temptation is to fill ourselves and with the things and experiences, to fill the void. Noise, to fill the silence. Crap, to fill the hunger. Distractions, to avoid the fear, the pain, the not knowing which, as it turns out, is really what temptation is all about. It's not about sex and drugs and rock and roll. No self-respecting Satan would approach a person with offers of personal, social, and professional ruin. That's all in the small print at the bottom of the temptation, says Craddock. Temptation is deceptive. Satan doesn't walk up, introduce himself, and give us an outline of the coming attractions. Satan's tongue is lilting, his offers sweet, his demeanor friendly. At the heart of deception is not an offer to fall, but an offer to rise. At the heart of deception is the temptation to be God's ourselves, to take matters into our own hands, to find ways to climb and achieve and triumph, all at the cost of others. Which is why it's so critical for us to know and understand the wilderness for what it is. Though it often feels like it, it is not a a place apart from God. Notice in the text that it is the very Spirit of God that drives Jesus into the wilderness. Notice that in addition to Satan and the wild beasts, there are angels in the wilderness attending to Jesus even as he endures seemingly unbearable hardships. Notice that when it's all said and done, that it is the one who endures the wilderness who proclaims that indeed... The kingdom of God has come near. Sisters and brothers, none of us escape the wilderness. It's part of life. It's part of the Christian walk. Which is why it's so critical for us to train each year during the season of Lent to rehearse the silence, to feel the barrenness, to face the temptations. And even more, why it's so critical for us to do that in this context, in the context of Christian community. Because, you see, when we are alone, with only a few wild beasts for company, it is our sisters and brothers in Christ who become angels for us. By the power of the Holy Spirit, God sends people who pray for us, who feed us with fruits of the spirit and fruits of the earth, who attend to us in ways we cannot even see until we are clear of the danger. And likewise, God calls us to be angels, to support, uplift, and encourage others who are struggling. And then, when it's all said and done, When we emerge from the wilderness, we will know once again that God has been with us all along. That the kingdom of God, well, it's come very, very near indeed. Amen.